And welcome to the 2020 uh, instance of Hangout in the Holy Land, or iteration rather. We're excited for big Ohio State football season. We did not think we were going to be getting. I'm joined by my co-host Gene Ross. Gene, how you doing today? I'm doing great, man. It's good to be back. It's good to be talking about football. Like you said, didn't think we'd be here, but we are somehow. We've made it. It's the middle of October, and we still haven't seen any Big Ten football, but it's coming. We're getting there. I mean, we're less than a week out. Uh, I probably should have led with who I am. I'm uh, George Eisner. If uh, we have any, you know, loyal listeners, all any, all three of them from uh, the big, Burn Down the Big Ten podcast last season on Land Grant Holy Land, you may recognize me. But uh, otherwise, I am back for another season, and uh, Gene, one of our editors, is also on the call, and we uh, have been graciously given the ropes of the prestigious Land Grant Holy Land uh, Hangout in the Holy Land podcast, formerly manned by Mr. Colton Denning and Patrick Mayhorn, who have uh, since moved on to greener pastures, but we are uh, here to give you all the hard-hitting OSU football analysis you need for 2020 and uh, the foreseeable future. So we've uh, got a nice little uh, season preview show for you today. We're not going to go all the way over into the season, but we will, uh, you know, give you a nice breakdown of the roster and, uh, you know, a little thing of what to expect and uh, talk about the upcoming Nebraska game this weekend as well. So um, our, our plan for the season is going to be we're going to be doing previews of the upcoming games on Wednesdays. And then sometime on Sunday, we will be posting recap shows for games that happened uh, the previous day. So you can expect two shows per week from us. And uh, we'll try to give you as much analysis as we can uh, for not only leading into the games, but also in the immediate aftermath. So uh, without further ado, I think uh, we're both ready to get started. So, Gene, I think you set it up well. We've been hankering for OSU football to come back. And uh, yeah, we, you know, we should have been. What six weeks ago, we should have been already well into it. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll tell you what, I am uh, I'm ready to stop watching Big 12 and ACC football because it just it hurts. There's there's no defense being played anywhere in the country, and I'm just ready for the Big Ten, the conference of defense, to come back into our lives and provide some relief into these 66 to 60 games between an unranked Oklahoma and a number 24 Texas and get some good teams back in the country. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I think when, what was it, uh, Coastal Carolina versus uh, Louisiana Lafayette, I think was 59-52. And, you know, when you you got those games in the Sun Belt, I I don't have as much of an issue. But I, I must admit it's getting a bit tiring watching the SEC slowly morph into the Big 12 in terms of not being able to defend a spread offense. So it's uh, it's been a little bit frustrating to, you know, watch that every weekend. But, uh, yeah, it'll be nice to watch a conference that actually has some talent on the defense defensive side of the ball again i think at this point the Sun Belt is more fun to watch than the big 12 i mean the teams are like i mean they're not playing defense either but it's just it's more acceptable when it's the Sun Belt. it's the fun Absolutely. belt you know it's great who doesn't love it yeah no it's been it's been fun uh but bringing it back to osu uh like i said we've had you know we had all the mounting excitement over the summer and then obviously with the season getting canceled we didn't know what we were going to get and uh, we were obviously very grateful that uh, last month we got it reinstated, even if it was going to be starting towards the end of October. So with that in mind, uh, given you know the fact that we didn't really think we were going to have football, and now that we're getting it back, what, what excites you the most heading into uh, the season this Saturday? I mean, I think it's the obvious. I think we're all excited to see Justin Fields play in year two under Ryan Day. He's had a full offseason now, a full season and a full offseason under Ryan Day in his scheme to really learn the offense. You know, every... Every interview that's been done for like the past two, three weeks with actual Ohio State personnel pretty much 
every person that has spoken has brought up Justin Fields, either provoked or unprovoked. It'll be a conversation about something completely unrelated, and they'll talk about how awesome Justin Fields is and how much his preparation is just next level. And so I'm just – I don't know how much next level Justin Fields can get with how he, good he was last year. But, I mean, if there's more – if it's better than that, I mean, the world's in for a show. Yeah, I don't know how much room for improvement there is. I uh, The thing that does excite me every year is just watching guys – fill in the shoes of whoever has left the previous season. So I, our expectation for fields are obviously astronomical. Um, you know, you don't go through, I think what, I, I don't know what he had like 40 touchdowns versus one interception. I think going into the Clemson game last year or something, it was just, it just absolutely ridiculous touchdown to interception ratio, just very, very efficient, uh, quarterback play the thing that's going to be more interesting to me is to see uh who fills in the shoes for Dobbins and I'm and I'm really excited given the two options that they have there I think that it's it's pretty interesting that you know Trey Sermon has gotten to play next to two different Heisman Trophy winners and he could potentially end up making it a third this year I don't know how many running backs have gotten to say that um and it's going to be I think he's a pretty you know just given the experience he had at Oklahoma he's got a fairly decent bit of dynamic ability that's going to suit this offense really well that we didn't necessarily have last year uh just because Teague was relatively inexperienced and Dobbins for as good as he was running the ball didn't really have the the hands that you want and I think that kind of showed up in the Clemson game when he dropped the uh what would have been a walk-in screen pass for a touchdown that could have otherwise made that game a lot more interesting uh in Ohio State's favor than it ended up being and Teague obviously coming he's coming off an Achilles injury I believe but uh, you know, he was he was a big back for them last year, made a lot of really efficient, really brilliant plays. And I, I think that watching these guys fill in those shoes on offense is going to be something that's really interesting to watch. Yeah, and George, I think you might be able to put either me or you behind this Ohio State offensive line and rush for a thousand yards. I mean, the, this unit is <laughs> unbelievable this year. So I'm, I'm very excited for what T, uh, Teague and Sermon can both do. I think they both bring their own individual skill set to the team. Uh, Sermon might be more of a pass catching back, but he's got a lot of speed. Master Teague is built like a house, so like these, I think these two guys are going to bring a lot to the team. And they might not—they're not going to be J.K. Dobbins, but I think they could put up some big numbers behind that line. And you know, let's let's dive a little bit more into that a bit, just in terms of comparing last year to this season. You know, filling in other shoes. You know, I know that you mentioned the offensive line. I I think that this could end up being. As, as much as last year was one of, if not the best offensive lines we've seen from Ohio State, obviously with three guys coming back and uh, arguably the three best players on the line from last year coming back this season, the installment could be even better. Um, you know, I, I, every I think Wyatt Davis is what a pre preseason favorite to win. What is it? The the Remington? No, Remington. I think is set. Remington, Remington is center, out. but even Josh Myers is favorite for the Remington. So I'll, we'll give that to Josh Myers. Exactly. Uh, Outland, the Outland Trophy, is best line in college football, right? So I, I would think Wyatt Davis is uh, pretty. He's going to be competing with that guy in Oregon. I think for that all season long. But uh, assuming Oregon gets to play this year, future New but, York uh, Giant Penny Sewell. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, but. You know, between him and uh, Thayer Munford, who I think quietly was very good in his own right last year, those guys are going to really hold down the weak side of the line. But the, I think the bigger question is replacing that strong side of the line um, is is going to be a bit more open-ended. But how do, how do you think that they're going to do in terms of replacing that production that they got out of um, the strong side last year? Jonah Jackson is going to be a tough replace. 
Uh, but I think Harry Miller is going to slide over from center and just and kill in that role. Harry Miller is like a super genius, and like everything he does is awesome. So I'm assuming he'll be awesome at offensive line as well. And at right tackle, with the way that the coaches have spoken this past week, I think it's going to be Nicholas Petitfrier. Um, him and Paris Johnson are in a. Uh, it's two five stars. I mean, you can't lose. One was a former five star. One's an incoming five star freshman. Ryan Day said they're both going to play. I don't know what that's going to look like. But I, I don't imagine them switching series with the right tackle. So I imagine Nicholas Petitfrier will get a lot of the playing time. And Paris Johnson will kind of fill in, maybe get a series here and there. But I think either way you go, you can't lose. I think they got a strong unit. All five are going to be great. And I just I don't see a weakness in this offensive line. I do agree on the interior. Right tackle, I think, is a little bit more open-ended. Uh, we did see a bit of Petit Freer in the Big Ten Championship last year. And there were, particularly on the goal line um, plays, he there there was a little bit that left to be desired just in terms of run blocking. And uh, I mean, he's just not as experienced as, you know, you would ideally like it. Uh, so I'm, I'm optimistic he's going to work out. But I, I think I'm glad that it seems like that they've got a lot of talent uh, at that position between him and uh, Dewan Jones and a bunch of other guys that are behind them that are just all these really Paris Johnson Jr. coming in as a freshman. I mean, there's so much talent there at these tackle spots that I think that even if they don't necessarily get the production that they need um, out of the replacements for Brandon Bowen, Brandon Bowen, I think, was quietly solid last year and was really the unsung hero of this offensive line, just giving out good Davis and company were. And uh, it's going it, to replacing him is going to be tougher than I think people give credit for. But I think that one, one thing that makes me very, very confident in this team is they've been so just consistent through how much ter- how turbulent this 2020 has been just in preparation and messaging and treating the, the current, you know, not just college football landscape, but. You know the general landscape of navigating the ongoing pandemic they've they've been very very unified in terms of their approach to that and how seriously they take it and that makes me very very optimistic that regardless of what position they need to fill in this year that guys are going to be able to step up and they're going to be prepared to execute and do their job so i know they're I know they're going to have to hit the ground running with the Big Ten schedule. I mean, they've got Nebraska this weekend, which I, I don't think Nebraska is going to be as good as advertised. But obviously, you've got Penn State the following weekend for Halloween, and that's definitely going to um, be an early test for this team. But again, I'm, I'm I'm just really impressed with how Fields has behaved as a leader and how Day has really kept this team united and focused on the same goal. And uh, I, I, I'm going to be very happy, I think, to watch this play out uh, over the next couple of months. Yeah, they, they seem to be a real tight-knit group. I mean, they're all, they're all bonding over the same things. They all wanted to fight for the season. They all wanted to come back and prove that their Fiesta Bowl loss was a fluke and that they could come back and be better than last year. And I mean, they even there was a video they released the other day in one of their hype videos. Like there was a, in the weight room, there's literally a picture of the Clemson final score the 29-23. And so like they haven't forgotten. They're coming back with a vengeance. They're sticking strict to the COVID protocols. I think it was Taraja Mitchell the other day tweeted that like he's so used to wearing a mask that he finds himself wearing it around the house on accident. So like they seem like they're pretty bought into the scheme of what Ryan Day is doing and just getting a season going. They know they can't afford to slip up right before in this last week, especially with like Ohio having some trouble with COVID cases, the rest of the Midwest too. So like they they're staying strict to the schedule and I think they're all they're they're bought in. They're ready to go. The boys are buzzing. We love to hear it. That's great. Defensive side of the ball. 
Um, I think there's a little bit more that needs to be replaced relative to last year. Uh, my, my favorite player, Tough Borland, is back, so we, we love to see that. Um, but <laughs> elsewhere, you know, they've, there, there's a lot of production that needs to be replaced and a lot of guys that need to step up. So I, you know, do on the defensive line, they, they do a really good job of just reloading every year, I think. And I think most people are expecting big years out of Zach Harrison. But I think in the secondary, there's, you know, with the departure of Arnett and Okuda and uh, who... who Okuda, uh, Arnett, and uh, Fuller. Yes, Fuller was the safety. That, the unsung uh, hero of the, the defense, Ryan Day, referred yeah. to him as earlier this it week. It was quietly, I think I saw a tweet that Pro Football Focus had him graded as like their fifth highest defensive back of among rookies through the season so far. Yeah, he's he's been really he's been really good for the Rams. Um, he, I think he's hurt right now, but when he's been in, I mean, he's he like earned the starting job on that team, and he's been really good for them, but I think he's on the the injuries list now but i'm actually i'm actually less concerned with the secondary than i am about the interior of the defensive line just because of how really? thin they are at defensive tackle i think that um like the low-key losses of devon hamilton robert landers and uh jay sean cornell i think that was big for their run defense last year that was really good and like those guys don't fill the stat sheet they're not going to be fancy players not going to fill this the stat sheet up but they they did a lot to stop that run game and fill the holes and I think they're going to be missing them a lot. I mean, they got Tommy Togiai, who I expect to be really good. But outside of him, they got, I mean, Haskell Garrett, not his fault, but he's recovering from a gunshot wound in the offseason. Uh, the way they're talking about Teron Vincent, it doesn't sound like he's really fully ready to go. So there's a lot of question marks at defensive tackle. And then obviously in the secondary, you got a lot to replace. But I mean, Seven Banks' name is Seven, and he's wearing number seven. So I mean, he's, he's going to be awesome. How can he not be? There's a, there's a great tradition of players that wear number seven at uh, the Ohio State University. So I think that you're on the money with that take. Um, but I will say that I think I think it's going to depend on how many you know down linemen they want to use in the earlier parts of the year, and obviously not having Haskell Garrett, who was going to you know provide a really good senior presence, is going to hurt. But I will say, among all the players that you know aren't really being I guess talked about as much, and, and you know we I communicated this in my uh, preview predictions that we're going to be putting out, uh, or they might they might already be up by now. I'm not sure, but. Tommy Togiai was my player to watch. Um, I, I remember I was at the Northwestern game last year and where they, you know, just absolutely beat the doors off the Wildcats. And the Wildcats are, you know, not by any means, you know, super prestigious uh, opponents. I guess no one really in the Big Ten West is, but um, on any given weekend. But I, I distinctly remember watching Togiai sub in and just consistently running sideline to sideline and just thinking that, that that's a 300-pound man with that kind of agility i mean that's just unbelievable and i think that with i don't know if he expected he was going to be thrust into as big a role as he's going to have to play this quickly but you know given what's happened to haskell garrett and all the extra prep time that they've had coming into the season you know he's he's got the athleticism to be that every down defensive tackle presence that you need to not only be a run stopper but also you know take up space that allows guys to fill in on blitzes and uh, you know create opportunities for pass rushers and even himself to make sacks and put pressure on the quarterback and what have you. So I 
I'm very, very optimistic that he's going to be able to fill big shoes very quickly. It'll be interesting to see who else they get. But Larry Johnson is arguably the best defensive line coach in college football. And we've consistently seen guys over the years that he's been here step up in those roles when they've needed to and get production out of just about every person uh, that's playing as a down lineman, uh, despite what their role is or however much playing time they're getting. So I'm just because of how good Larry Johnson is. I'm not concerned about the defensive, uh, the down lineman at all. Um, my my concerns are strictly in the secondary. But to your point, they I mean, there's there's no shortage of talent there either. So I think that the, I'm reasonably optimistic they can fill in there as well. Yeah, for sure. And just bring up just not to spend too much time on the defensive tackles because I'm sure nobody's <laughs> overly excited about defensive tackles. But just repl- I mean, just their snap counts from last year that they have to replace. Jay Sean Cornell was in, led the defensive tackles with 399. Devon Hamilton 352. Landers 253. And then Togi was fourth with 250. And then after him, you got Garrett with 218, Antoine Jackson, who we'll probably see a bunch of this year at 201, and then nobody else on the roster has over 100 snaps. So they're going to be looking for some guys to fill in that haven't really played a bunch in their past. But like you said, I mean, Larry Johnson's good at what he does. They recruit talent like no other. So I'm sure they got somebody waiting in the wings. That'll be perfectly fine. I have a, I have a sleeper coming later that's going to play that position. Okay. Who do you uh, – so going just quick pivot back to uh, the secondary. I mean, you you seem pretty uh, confident in seven banks. but is, So that's – that's who you would expect then to play opposite of um, of Sean Wade? Yeah, I, I think it's going to be Sean Wade's going to be on the outside. I think Seven Banks will play the other outside. And then I think Marcus Williamson will play in the slot. And then I, I think Cam Brown will get reps maybe at both, probably majority in the slot. But I think he could play both. And then uh, I think Marcus Hooker is going to be the one high safety. And I'm excited about him. And it, 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 it almost entirely because he's Malik Hooker's brother. But the way that they've been talking about him lately, he I mean, they're literally describing Malik Hooker when they talk about Marcus Hooker now, which is, I mean, he's it's impossible standards to come to. Malik Hooker is probably the best player I've seen play in person at Ohio State when I was there. And like nobody could be that good. It's just that he was Ed Reed. He was the college version of Ed Reed. He was unbelievable. And if Marcus Hooker could be half of that, I mean, he's going to be awesome. No, he played, he played, if this makes sense, he played the safety position like I would imagine a bad basketball player would play it i mean just you know he, he was getting he was getting interceptions as if they were rebounds and just you know targeting the ball and tipping them to each other he like was, he was just everywhere he was in the backfield he was in, it was if the ball was over the top he was there making a play if the ball was in the backfield he was making a play it's just i don't know how he did it but when you watch the season that he played where he really broke out i think it was 2016 or 2015 uh, he's he's everywhere well i hope it runs in the family but I also hope that just just because of how much we've heard about his speed, I do hope that we see a little bit more of Cameron Brown on the outside this year. And I think that maybe moving seven banks inside just with, I guess, you know, the more ex- I guess he has a little bit more experience than Cameron Brown would have. I, 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 you know, a little bit more size, too. He's just a little bit more built. I think that he'd be better for, you know, serving that that nickel role that I think that they're going to need um, just for whenever they're playing, you know, pass heavy sets and they're trying to keep opponents from catching up with them while they're putting up points on the other side. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they kind of navigate that rotation of corners as the season goes along. But like like we've been saying, the coaching's always really up to up to standard or not even st- up to standard. It's beyond standard. It's they these guys set the standard, particularly Larry Johnson. But I, I really do expect them to all have uh, great seasons and fill in the production that like you like you were saying with the defensive lineman, there's a lot of snaps up for grabs with all the guys that have left this year, but there's plenty of talent to fill in. So it's going to be interesting to see how it pans out. 
As for, you know, we've talked a lot about the experienced guys. Are there any freshmen in particular that you expect to make some sort of immediate impact? I know most people are high on Julian Fleming. I've got I've got one of my own guys in mind, but I I'm, I want to hear from you first. I think I think Julian Fleming is the popular pick, but I'm 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 in on Jackson Smith and Jigba. I think he is going to play maybe the most snaps of the freshman wide receivers just because I think he's going to split some slot time with Garrett Wilson and I think they'll move him in and out and I think like I think he will be the primary backup to Garrett and I think they will give him some outside as well cuz he's pretty big I think but like he he came on late like he was a late bloomer five star and I just he like broke a, a ton of Texas records he's incredibly talented and i just think that he's gonna with justin fields at quarterback i think he's gonna ball out he caught what like six touchdown passes i think was it in the state championship or was it in a playoff game on the run up or something he caught like all of his team's touchdown passes he was incredible and like he wasn't a five-star <laughs> until the end and i don't even think I, I don't know if this is correct i don't even know if texas like recruited him like the school texas so i don't know what they're doing down there but man that's a miss well, Tom and Tom Herman's got his hands full with plenty of other things, as uh, we've seen early on in this season in the Big Twelve. So, if you let that one slip through the cracks, it's uh, not not entirely, uh, you know, <laughs> not entirely surprising. But um, my right, I mean, Fleming's obviously the you know the big pick. I think, especially given you know the profile that Garrett Wilson had coming in last year as the five-star freshman receiver guy that ended up making a lot of those big uh, red zone impacts. But I, I do think that there's just so much talent in this receiver room that it's going to be hard for – I think it's going to be harder this year for any one true freshman to stand out. My guy to watch, and it, it sort of depends on a couple different factors, but the guy that I'm really curious about is uh, Ryan Watts, who's the incoming freshman uh, playing in corner. He is the biggest corner that Ohio State has on their roster uh, currently. Stands about 6'3". I think he's at about 190. So he's not, you know, he's not noticeably more built out, I think, at this stage than any of the other corners are. But he's definitely got that size. He's, you know, I think two inches taller than any of the other corners uh, that Ohio State has. Two inches taller than Sean Wade. Uh, so the guy's the guy's big. He's a Texas guy. You know, they 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 grow him tough down there. And uh, I, I, it's going to be interesting to see that if everyone. I don't know if he's going to have to play that much if everyone can stay healthy, because like you said, we've got if you're thinking about the two guys on the outside, plus a nickel, um, you're you're really looking at a rotation of uh, Sean Wade and seven banks and Cameron Brown. And then beyond that, you probably see, you know, Marcus Williamson rotate in, who's a senior. But if the secondary, if the DBs end up experiencing any kind of injury issues, I think that they're going to have to start looking into the well a bit to get the kind of production that they need. And Watts, I think, definitely has the size that they can stick him. Maybe not the experience that you want to put him on the outside, but definitely the kind of size where you would feel comfortable rolling him out in nickel or dime sets as that interior corner that can not only help out with the run, but has the agility to be able to play on those slot guys. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how much playing time he gets and how much confidence Kerry Coombs and Ryan Day have in him as the season progresses. Yeah, and I don't know if you mentioned him or not, but they also have Tyreek Johnson still floating around, a former five-star. He came in mm-hmm. as a safety, but he has since been moved to corner. So they still, I mean, he's an option, and I think we will see a good amount of Ryan Watts and also guys like uh, Legend Cavazos in uh, in the backfield and blowouts. I mean, they, they play Rutgers, they play Illinois, they'll get some blowouts. So those guys will probably, <laughs> they'll get some playing time. And just to double back on what I said before, uh, Jack Smith and Jigba did not have an orf- offer from Texas. So good job, Tom uh, Oh, boy. 
what are you doing, Tommy? That, and it's so crazy looking back that we, we, I mean, at least in 2015, it really, it felt like he was such, and especially after they didn't repeat the following season, it felt like Herman was such a huge, big part of their success in winning the national championship. Oh, offensive coordinator Tom Herman, great. Head coach Tom Herman, not so great. It's It's pretty wild just to see that kind of, reverse metamorphosis that happens with so many guys that excel in those coordinator roles and then just can't can't keep the wheels on right but i also have to wonder if maybe you know the texas job was just i mean what he became the highest paid coach in college football as soon as he took that job i think so it uh he didn't he didn't go directly to texas right he he had a good year at houston i don't know if he was there for a year or two i think it was only one but i don't he had a good year and then texas like all right that works we'll get rid of charlie strong and now we're gone (laughs) And now they're uh, unranked. So it's crazy it's how well. fast they, it's crazy how fast things move in the sport. Oh man! Why don't we talk about Nebraska? That's obviously the game upcoming this weekend. Uh, I've I've definitely got some opinions about them. If you uh, tuned in to Burn Down the Big Ten last year, you know that uh, my former co-host Ben Gorin and I we were we were not very kind to Scott Frost or the Cornhuskers. They started out their season last year beating, barely beating South Alabama by two touchdowns at home. And then uh, I think we, we, they were our upset pick for that week the following when they played Colorado and they ended up losing. And uh, since then, it's, you know, their season was, you know, okay last year. Adrian Martinez is still kind of a turnover factory, but they had 14 players, trans, scholarship players transfer out of the program this year, including their third leading receiver in school history and JD Spielman, which that, I mean, that's never a good look. So I'm, I'm not super optimistic about how Nebraska is going to look this year. And I think Ohio state is probably going to make that uh, very apparent in this opening uh, game on Saturday, but I'm, I'm curious how you feel about it, Gene. Yeah. I mean, I don't, is it, is it weird to say that I don't think Nebraska is going to be that bad, but then also predict them to win three games? Because I think that's realistically what we're looking at here. I mean, their schedule is brutal. I mean, I know that the Big Ten's not going to say they did it on purpose because of all the stink that Nebraska made in the offseason. <laughs> but my God, I mean, they all open their season at Ohio State. Then they play Wisconsin. They go to Northwestern. Then they're home against Penn State. I mean, that is a brutal four. And then they finish the season at Iowa, at Purdue, and then versus Minnesota. So, I mean, I don't know where they win five games. I think in a normal year they could win six, seven games. But this schedule is brutal. And, I mean, they're they're a weird team. I think they're actually like a perfect team for Ohio State to play to open the season because like they're not terrible where like we don't really learn anything because Ohio State beats them by 80 and they're like just good enough to maybe expose some flaws in Ohio State's defense and show their weaknesses on offense while also probably not being good enough to be a real threat to win the game. Yeah, I'm, you know, taking another look at their schedule. I I could conceivably, you know, I think probably at home versus Illinois is probably their greatest chance to win any of these games. I would say that's even greater than, I mean, at Northwestern is always weird. I think that's the only guaranteed win on their schedule. Yeah, no, I would, I would totally agree. I could see them losing any other All game. of their road games. I mean, the Ohio State game, obviously, we think that's going to be a wash. But the other road games they have are all very weird places to play at Northwestern, at Iowa, at Purdue. Those particular last two Ohio State fans know those are never fun, so I can't imagine they're going to be fun for uh, the Cornhusker either. The Big Ten, the Big Ten said, "How can we make their schedule look even harder while still giving them bad teams?" So we're just going to go make them play at places where Ohio State has lost or almost lost in recent years, just to make them deal with it. 
It's just a very bizarre slate. And again, I'm, you know, I, I'm not going to pretend like I know any really anything about their defense, but I do know enough from just watching Adrian Martinez last year that they're probably not going to, you know, take care of the ball to the extent that they need to, where they're going to be able to pull off a ton of upsets or, you know, stay, stay in games to at least make things interesting. I think that they're going to have to play really perfect football. I have some notes here on Nebraska's defense. Uh, They're replacing Mm. four of their front five, which doesn't sound great. They have a lot of young linebackers and defensive line. I think they're missing like three of their four starting defensive linemen. Uh, they do have some guys coming back. They lost their top corner, Lamar Jackson, and not the Lamar Jackson you're thinking of. Uh, but they bring back DiCaprio Boodle, which is a great football name, and he's pretty good. Uh, he's a senior corner. He had six pass breakups for them last year. Uh, they also have this guy, Cameron Britt Taylor. who No, sorry, Cam Taylor Britt, not Britt Taylor. And he's kind of like their like Walmart version of Isaiah Simmons, where he plays every position. So like he'll... He played a couple games at linebacker, a couple at safety, a couple at corner. He had two picks and a couple sacks last year, so he's pretty good. He's not obviously nobody's Isaiah Simmons, but like he plays a similar style of game, so they have that going for them. But other than that, I think they're gonna their defense is probably gonna struggle against the run game, which is probably good for Ohio State breaking in their running backs, which makes them even better of a starting game for them. And so yeah, their their strength is their secondary for sure. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they kind of divvy up carries between Sermon and Teague in this opening game if they are going to have an opportunity to run the ball a lot. And uh, even to see how much uh, burn it as a runner fields gets as well. But I would I would hope that we do see more of a, a kind of a tune-up game if Ohio State can afford that uh, just in terms of getting, you know, the right side of the offensive line comfortable with, uh, you know, playing in these game situations and, you know, getting the getting the running backs on track and kind of figuring out what kind of rotation they want going forward. So I'm I feel pretty comfortable. Um, and that's, again, talking about a team we haven't two teams we haven't seen play this yet this year. Um, but again, with all the with all the consistent preparation that uh, Ohio State has have, you, you, you have to feel really good about them going into this and the fact that they're playing at home. I, I remember last year just being a little bit anxious about this game just because I know going on the road at night to Nebraska is an incredibly hostile environment. And I remember in the early part of the game, it actually felt like Nebraska was, you know, keeping it relatively within, you know, striking distance for them. And then I think Okuda had that, uh, albeit very lucky uh, tip interception in the red zone that I think kind of completely swung momentum back in Ohio State's favor, and then it kind of just went off the rails from there. Yeah, they had their first drive of the game. Uh, Chase Young forced Adrian Martinez out of the pocket, and he threw a pick directly at Jeff Okuda, and then they scored. Ohio State scored immediately, and you could see Nebraska was kind of like, oh no. And then like they they did put together a couple drives, but. Their best drive, they like went into this weird wishbone triple option, and Ohio State's oh, yeah. defense was like, "What the hell is going on?" Yes. And so they got like all the way down to the thirty, and then he overthrew like the tight end or the fullback coming out of the backfield, and it landed in a Okuda's hands, laying on the ground, and then the game was over from there because that was just that was the last shot they had to score. I remember getting very anxious watching that because I remember the commentators were talking about how they hadn't seen that from Nebraska all season either. So uh, that was my gosh, yeah, that just I, that that just unearthed a whole bunch of repressed Nebraska memory. <laughs> yeah, I mean, luckily, luckily that didn't wind up having any effect on the game, and I don't think they ever even went back to it, even though it was so successful, but that was a little wrinkle Scott Frost threw in there, and it, it worked for a little bit. I don't think GameScript let them go back to that, otherwise that could have been a very, uh, it could have been a very different outcome that night, but it ended up being 48-7, and uh, I don't, 
I don't know if we're going to get that substantial of a blowout um, just because this is the first game of the year and you're obviously going to have some first game jitters, I think, from both sides out of select players. But uh, if you had to ballpark it, where where do you think this ends up in terms of a final score? Well, just for some historical context here, Ohio State, Nebraska hasn't been in the Big Ten for all that long. They've only played Ohio State eight times. Ohio State is seven and one. They've won the last five uh, they're averaging 48.6 points per game against Nebraska. But um, that being said, I do think Nebraska's offense, even without J.D. Spielman, I think it's going to be pretty good. It's not going to be great, but I think Adrian Martinez is going to bounce back at least a little bit. I mean, he entered last year as like a, a top three Heisman candidate, and he very much wasn't. But I think he'll get it together enough. They have Wandale Robinson, who scares me just because Wandale sounds like Rondale, and I don't want to be burned by a hmm. speedy receiver by that name again. And so he scares me a little bit. He's good. Uh, Cade Warner's got a phenomenal mustache, so that helps them on offense somehow. And their their run game's pretty good. They got a good offensive line. They returned uh, Dedrick Mills from last year, their leading rusher, who's pretty good. And so I think they're gonna they're gonna put up some points. I think I'll, if I had to ballpark it, I'd say uh, probably like a forty eight seventeen or forty eight twenty kind of affair. I don't think Ohio State's gonna come out and drop seventy in game one, but they'll learn what they have to fix and they'll be able to move on from it. And it should be. The game shouldn't be in doubt at any point. I think it'll be comfortable midway through the third, if not at half. Yeah, I think I think your head's in the right place with that. And I'll I'll say too that uh you know when you don't have a lot of statistics or numbers to go on that are at least you know relevant to the year 2020, um you know basing your predictions off of guys' names and facial hair is usually a pretty solid course of action. So not uh not too not too bad thinking there. Um, but I, I think I agree with a lot of what you said. I would expect Martinez just, you know, with another year of maturity and, you know, being able to learn from his mistakes last year, probably a little bit more sharp than he has been in years past. Think that, you know, that having that kind of pressure on you when you're, you know, projected to be some sort of Heisman candidate and you're not really in a situation that's going to allow you to succeed like that. It definitely, you know, mounts and makes things a little bit worse. I think that Nebraska, especially given what you mentioned about the schedule, uh, their expectations are significantly lower than they were last year. So I, I think that that's probably going to give them a little bit more of, a, of of comfort in terms of their ability to flourish. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to play out that way. But I think it, especially given their opening their season against the, the fifth on paper best, the fifth best team in the country. But I, I do think that what you're saying has truth to it in terms of they're probably not going to put Ohio State in a position where they're ready to blow the door or they're, they're going to let the doors get blown off them. So I, I think 48-17 is probably good. I, I do think that Ohio State's defense is probably going to play them a little bit better than that where for allowing 17 just because i i still think martinez is a little bit too turnover prone for his own good and i think that there's a lot of guys in ohio state that are you know anxious to prove that they're going to be able to fill in the absences that have been created with so many guys leaving so i i'm gonna tentatively say 42 to 10 i think that that's you know a little bit a little bit shallower than than the score you predicted not too far off but i think we're in the same ballpark yeah i also think that there's a chance that we see another nebraska quarterback in this game whether it be in a blowout or just by poor performance by martinez they have uh, luke mccaffrey who is the younger brother of both the running back christian mccaffrey and the former michigan quarterback uh dylan mccaffrey and they've been really high on him. They've been talking about him a lot. I mean, Scott Frost, I think, just came out today and officially named Adrian Martinez the starter. But they've mm-hmm. been talking about the two of them as if it was like a pretty healthy competition. So if Martinez does like 
really struggle early like he did in the last game, we could see some Luke McCaffrey, and that could could be a different look in the offense. I don't think he's I don't know what kind of style quarterback he is. I don't know a ton about him, but I just know that they're they're pretty high on that kid, and he could we could see some of him too. So Ohio State might have to prepare for another quarterback. Well, it'll be interesting to see how much of a leash they give Martinez in that case, uh, given his performance against Ohio State in the past. That does make me a little bit nervous, just because. We know Ohio State. I mean, it seems like college football in general, there's a weird trend of teams being able to succeed with quarterbacks that they didn't expect to start but end up playing. And then, you know, just whether it be due to injury or just getting, you know, thrusted in due to poor performance from the starter at the half. And, you know, defense is just not being prepared for guys that they didn't really, you know, examine on film at length all week and just kind of being caught off guard. So it's uh, yeah, I, be- I believe they call that the Connor Cook effect. <laughs> That's one way. The uh, it's also the Tua Tagovailoa uh, ordeal with uh, Bama. But yeah, that at least from an Ohio State standpoint, that. That was the last game I ever saw in college um, that's, at that's Ohio State. That hurts, at, or at least in the horse, or at least in the horseshoe. I remember the morning, the morning they announced that their quarterback was out. I, my friend, looked at me. He's like, "We don't have to go to the game. We're going to win by 100." And then we oh did my not. Gosh, oh no! Yeah, I remember just kind of staring up at the lights, and uh, when it was evident that they were going to be able to kick a field goal for the win, and just kind of trying to cherish the moment. But I went, I went to the Michigan game the next week in Ann Arbor, and uh, they ran for they had 350 team rushing yards, and Zeke absolutely ate their lunch. So that that was a good way to close yeah, when, out when they actually gave the the best running back in the country the ball. Yeah, that was good. That was a better game plan the week before. In fairness, I think a lot of people forget Zeke was in the hospital that week, and he, you know, I don't know if he was really at a hundred percent for that game even though the one drive where they actually gave him the ball he looked pretty good so i don't know if urban was hesitant about just making sure he was okay or whatnot but you know there's no sense in speculating on games that happened five years ago when we've got football this weekend to be excited about so and the good news is ohio state's best player can't possibly not get the ball because he's the quarterback absolutely fields is going to touch it a lot so it's uh it's going to be fun to see him kick off his heisman kid how do you what do you think the odds are that fields is able to pull this it's going to be interesting to see how they evaluate him i think for Versus the other candidates that have already like had a more full suite of games to play like Trevor Lawrence this year. Do you think that he's going to get a legitimate shot at winning this thing? I felt a lot better about it until this past week where Trevor Lawrence dropped 73 on Georgia Tech and had a career high like 400 yard five touchdown game. I mean, he easily could come back and win. It's going to take a lot of work. He's got to, I mean, these these quarterbacks like Mac Jones, Trevor Lawrence, uh, I don't even know who else would be in it at this point, but uh, even the BYU quarterbacks looked really good. But he's got a lot of catching up to do. You know, these guys have a lot of game tape now, and we know that, like, voters aren't the brightest, so, like, recency bias could play into effect. If Justin Fields balls out all year and then has, like, a 400-yard performance against Michigan, then maybe they, that's the last game they see, and it's like, all right, well, to Justin Fields. He's not going to have the same numbers as Trevor Lawrence. He's just not going to play as many games. But, I mean, he could if he looks awesome, I don't see that holding the back. I think they'd take into effect the, that he played less games. They're not going to say, oh, he's got – 200 less yards than Trevor Lawrence because he played three less games or whatever. I don't think that's going to matter. I think if he, he's, he could, he can win it. I don't think he's out because he's playing less games. I think he has a legitimate chance if he's as good as we think he is. I think his path is going to be through efficiency rather than through quantity. So I think that if he's able to post a really solid completion percentage and if he's able to, you know, keep his, uh, interception total somewhere near as low as it was last year, where it was, somehow hovering at one all season up until the game against Clemson. Uh, I think that he's going to have a very compelling case, but if he's posting a lot of similar numbers to what Lawrence has and Lawrence has just played more games, I think it's just going to be too easy for 
uh, voters to just point to the guys that have, you know, been doing it for a little bit longer than Fields has and go elsewhere. So I am worried about how legitimate of a campaign he's going to have. But I think if he plays really crisp, efficient ball and just has Ohio State humming the whole year against the Big Ten, it's going to be hard to keep him out of the front of the race. Yeah, and I think a lot of the Heisman comes down to your Heisman moments. So, like, how do you perform in your biggest games? Like, if Justin Fields, Justin Fields is seven touchdowns against Rutgers, isn't going to matter as much as like five touchdowns would against Penn State. So, if he if he balls out against Penn State and Michigan, and then in the Big Ten championship, I mean that that's that 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 matters a lot more than like the <laughs> overall like how he scored eight touchdowns against Illinois and Rutgers. Absolutely. I think you're right on the money with that. Well, I think uh, I think that's a pretty comprehensive uh, breakdown of what we got in front of us so far. Um, so we will be back on Sunday to recap the Nebraska OSU game. We'll have a lot more to talk about then, I think, just in terms of finite details and uh, what we saw going on and what to expect going forward. And uh, yeah, we'll be we'll be back in your ear every uh, Wednesday with a preview show for the upcoming game for the week. And, uh, yeah, like we said, we'll be recapping the games uh, the following day every Sunday as well. So uh, hang out in the Holy Lands, officially back, folks. And uh, we want to thank you for tuning uh, into, I wouldn't call it the inaugural, but the re-inaugural episode, maybe, uh, of uh, the flagship Land Grant Holy Land podcast. And, uh, yeah, I just thank you very much again for tuning in. Come back on Sunday. And uh, for Gene Ross, I'm George Eisner. And uh, like we said, we want to thank you very much for tuning in. And uh, we look forward to doing this with you guys all season. So take care, folks. See you on Sunday.